0: Lisa Apolo went to bed one night, happy, blessed, woke up the next morning and was in shock at what happened, how her life was turned upside down. And she's going to talk about her story of immeasurable heartbreak and how she helped her and her seven children cope. We all know that parenting is hard work
1: and life can get busy. We've done the research to help you. So let's dig deep with Leanne Mancini and work together to help you raise strong Christian kids.
0: Hey friends, I'm glad you're back on Raising Christian Kids. I am interviewing Lisa Apollo and she is a speaker who inspires women to cultivate faith in life's storms. She is the author of the book, Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. Lisa went to bed happily married and woke up a widow and single mom to seven children. Wow, that's, that in itself is just shocking. As a former litigating attorney, Lisa is passionate about rich Bible teaching. She writes at the popular site, lisapello.com founded a team of writers at hopeandgrief.com and serves on the executive team for COMPEL with Proverbs 31 Ministries. Lisa's days are filled with parenting, ministry, and long walks to justify lots of dark chocolate. I love that. I love chocolate. Thank you for coming on the show, Lisa. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, your book, Life Can Be Good Again, is a story of immeasurable heartbreak and hope. Can you please tell us about yourself and your motivation to write the book?
1: Sure. So this, you know, really came from something that happened about 10 years ago, which when I say that, it seems like a long time. And yet, if anybody's walked through any kind of really life implosion, the kind of, life, the kind of thing that just changes everything in life, you know that, that the time warps. And so it's also been kind of a short time, but on a, what I thought was a very normal Friday morning, my, I woke up to my husband's funny breathing and I reached over. I wasn't even awake enough to have my eyes open, but I reached over and just nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare, hon. And I fully expected that he would turn over, that we would wake up in a couple hours to his alarm, but he didn't turn over. And as I became more awake, I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately that something was wrong. And. So, you know, I began CPR, we called 911, the operator walked me through CPR, the paramedics were there within, I didn't even get through two rounds of CPR and the paramedics were there. They took him by stretcher to the hospital and I followed and it was there that an ER doctor told me that they had done everything they could and that they had never been able to revive Dan. And so that was it, It you know, one night's sleep, and we had no warnings, there were no symptoms or signs that anything was was wrong. And in one night's sleep, you know, life just changed, not just for me, but for all for my seven children. It is
0: just incomprehensible, even to grasp at your feelings and what you went through. And having seven children that you had to tell that their dad had just died, I can't even... I can't wrap my, my mind around that. But before that happened, you had a happy, loving marriage, fun home with your husband, raising your children with Christian morals and values, correct? Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a perfect home, but it was, it was the life that I wanted. And it was a solid family. We were very intact. My husband was a very good dad. He was very intentional. We were both very intentional in our parenting.
0: And after Dan's death, what motivated you to write the book? Because I know it's very painful.
1: Yeah, that didn't come right at the beginning. I mean, in the beginning I was trying to survive, but you know, when I hit a certain point and could see that God was healing me, God had given me such compassion for the woman who was a few steps behind me. And I just wanted, I remembered wanting to know one person who had walked through something like this. and could reach back and tell me, this is the way this is, let's go through this together.
0: Oh, thank God that you did that. And you state that you also saw God's goodness in a hundred ways on the day Dan died. How so?
1: You know, that's such a good question because one of the things that I did when the paramedics were in the other room and I was in my living room crying out for God's mercy, you know, Lord have mercy on us. And of course, the way I thought that he would answer is by saving my husband. And that didn't happen. You know, God did not spare Dan. But what I saw was that God's mercy came in ways that I never would have expected. And it showed up. I don't even know if we have time to say them all, but there were ways that he went before us. For instance, I had gone with my husband for four days down to the keys. I never got away. I had seven kids. I was like the hub of the home. It was hard to, you know, to get, get away, but he had wanted me to go on this trip. And I, at the last minute had kind of just laid down my schedule and said, your husband just wants you to go, Lisa, just go. And what a gift that was that God went before me and really, really nudged me to do that. People came into our home. People were there. At one point, some girlfriends called me out of my room and said, you need to hear this. And upstairs, there were some teens with their guitars, friends of my children playing praise music. Wow! And what, what a mercy to bring my friend, my tween and teens Friends there to minister to them. Not just that day, but so many other days. We saw God's mercy.
0: Isn't that wonderful? He always sustains us and takes care of us in our time of need. And when you look back, maybe at that time you didn't see it. When you look back, you see clearly where God's hand was involved. How did your kids handle the loss of their father? And I know they were devastated, but how did they handle the loss? And how did you help your children overcome this tremendous pain
1: while also grieving yourself? Mm. we grieved together. I did not show up all polished up. They saw me cry. They didn't see me a basket case, but they saw me cry. We wept together. It was very important for me to learn about children and their ways they grieve. I was so grief naive, but what I have found is that children grieve very differently than adults. And a four-year-old is going to grieve differently than a teen and girls generally grieve differently than the boys. And so one of the things I said probably One of the first things I said after everybody went home after the memorial service and our house had quieted, I said, we're going to need a lot of grace with each other because I was new at this. They were new at it. We were going to grieve differently. But, you know, I think another thing, if anybody's walking their children through any kind of grief, it could be grandparent or a pet or, you know, a friend is to keep that conversation open because these kind of emotions and our kids have them all. All the emotions the adults have, these heavy emotions of guilt, despair, sadness, missing loneliness, anger, you know, our kids have all those, but they're just, they're too hard for adults. Think about them for a child and we can't process them for our kids, but we can keep the conversation open. And that's one of the chief things I saw my role as to keep a safe, warm, ongoing conversation for months. Even now, even today, my youngest kids are still in the home. It's not an everyday conversation. And there's a lot of understanding that we just have, but, you know, at big times, like at graduations or ball games, or, you know, even honestly, when this book came out, my now 16 year old, he was six at the time, downloaded it audible. And he said, mom, I listened to the book. And he said, I couldn't read the first chapter. And if you know, the first chapter, it's it's what happened. And so we had a conversation about it. What do you remember? What, what was, you know, what was it like for you that day? Well, he's 16 now and he can tell me a lot more than he could at six. Wow.
0: He has those memories, but now he can articulate them. Yeah. Can you explain what you mean by having an attitude of gratitude in an attitude of ingratitude?
1: Yes, this is so good because what I discovered is that, you know, we know that we're, that God tells us to be thankful in all things. And he doesn't tell us to be thankful for all things, but that in every situation, we can always find something to give thankful for. And what I found was that an attitude of gratitude or an attitude of ingratitude really, really shows what we believe about God. Because if I'm going to go throughout my day complaining and groaning against God, crying out against him, that he's allowed this, or that I don't have this, or that my life isn't what I want, I really don't believe that he's good. And I really don't believe that he's good for me or that he is a God who is for me. Conversely, if I have an attitude of gratitude, if I'm able to say, you know, this is not what I wanted. And yet I see your hand on me. You have provided everything I have needed. You have given me wisdom in my single parenting. You have guided me when I asked you for guidance on decisions. That attitude of gratitude says, I don't understand. But I trust you, and I know that you are walking us through this, and that you you are good for us. You know, I
0: recently had a friend of mine. His his wife passed away in the middle of the night, and she was only forty seven years old. They only have one child, and he's not a believer. And I can see how he's struggling because he doesn't have God in his life. And uh, you know, I'm praying that he does find God because. With God all things are possible, especially healing when you need to heal. In the appendix, you list 40 promises of God. Can you share your top three?
1: Oh, yes. And they're all good.
0: All 40 are really good. They're all
1: so good. I think one that was really helpful for me was Philippians 419, which is my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And we were a one-income family. So very practically, I was I had a lot of fear over you know how I was going to manage this family of 8 and you know what Dan did make some decisions so we did have a safety net but i but things were going to look very differently you know with that without that income and to know that god would supply all of my, our needs was huge psalm 34, 18 says that god is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit his nearness to me in that time of loss is to say he was near is almost an understatement because his presence was palpable. And not everybody may experience that. They may say, well, I don't feel God around me. I'm going through this hard thing and I don't feel him at all. But I want you to know that the promise is that he's near and we don't have to feel it for it to be true. He is with you and he promises to save those who are crushed in spirit. God is a compassionate God. He doesn't just stand far off, but he is with us in it and he is helping us in it. Psalm one sixteen says, "The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, He saved me. He enters our brokenness with us. That is what compassion is." I think one of the biggest revelations that I had did not happen in year one of my grief, but in year two. And I don't know somewhere somewhere in that year, I'd have to go back to my journals to see. But I was in my minivan alone with the Lord, having my Bible time, and I just kind of said either in my spirit or out loud, I don't like my life. And in the next, you know, kind of thought was that God does not do plan B that while this was unexpected for me, that this was something that God had allowed. And he does not give us a plan B. He had not overlooked something. He'd not turned his head that this was an intentional chapter two that he had allowed. And as such, it would have as much abundance and goodness and joy as all the days before. And, you know, I thought, Oh, I'm here. I I'm just going to live the leftovers of the life I wanted, but to know that God had allowed it. And it was his chapter two for me. It didn't all of a sudden make me feel better. Like, Oh, I'm not even hurting anymore. But what it did is kind of realign my thought and my, my hope until my heart caught up to it. Do you see the blessings
0: out of it? I see
1: so many blessings And honestly, I don't share this. I don't think I've shared this with, with anyone that I can think of, but my prayer is that I won't just accept what God has allowed, but that I will agree with it. Wow. That he doesn't get things wrong. Yeah. And I can tell you that as hard as it is, and as much as I would love to see Dan like today and look forward to heaven, I would not want to go back to the girl that I was before. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. How can people reach you? They can reach me at lisaappelo.com. That's my, my site. And it's kind of the hub of where all my content is and how, how to get hold of me. There's a contact there and they can always email me. The name is spelled Lisa Appelo, A-P-P-E-L-O and 2Ps1L. I'm on Instagram at Lisa Apollo. So I would love to respond to anybody who's in this situation. And also, we have a Facebook group. If you're a young widow and you're parenting kids through something like this, we have a closed Facebook group, closed just to keep it safe, but open to you. And it's called Widow Mama
0: Collective. Oh, thank you. And again, the book is called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. Thank you for being on the show, Lisa. I know you've probably blessed many women who are listening right now. And, you know, this is how we all work together to raise strong Christian kids, to make sure that when they see hard times coming, we're there for them and God, because God is there for us. Yes, absolutely.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.